Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to make 2023 your best September elk season yet? If you answered yes, my friends, you are in the right place. From the Western Huntsman Podcast and brought to you by Phelps Game Calls, welcome to the School of September, the most comprehensive September elk hunting podcast on the planet. Listen in to some of the world's most prolific elk hunters joining us to talk about strategy, calling elk, spot and stock, and closing the deal on some of our wildest dreams. From the Broken Time Studio to your knowledge toolbox, let's get one step closer to notching that tag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is going to be the last and final school of September for 2023. I can't believe we're already here. Uh, I, I, I could feel like elk screaming in the woods already. It is, uh, what, June, let's see, August 20th today. And I've got one of my favorite peeps uh, to join us, uh, a, a return guest, a fan favorite, Mr. Jason Phelps from Phelps Game Calls. How you doing, brother? Good, good. I appreciate having me on, Jim. Yeah, it is. It is real, real close. I know um, all the bulls around here, at least larger ones, are all uh, rubbed, velvet's rubbed off, and so it's getting close. Uh, people starting to hear bugles, so uh, getting excited. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. It's like I, I feel like I just started school in September, which we usually start in March, and I think um, this year the Dirk was the first one uh, for this year, and uh, I, I've it's been like just all of a sudden man it's august it's it's like all of a sudden i i haven't even like gone through my pack like fully because i have yeah. <laughs> i have two different pack systems i run i run one pack for bear season and then i run a different pack for for everything in the fall and i haven't even busted that pack out yet man I'm, i might be in trouble i gotta go through my gear yeah fortunately i was cleaning my shop this weekend which got like I had to put my hands on all my camp and stuff and reorganize it. So I think I think I've got everything I need to go hunting this year. But uh, we'll find out uh, as we load up my pack before we leave. Yeah, that's what I got to do. I, I just want to make sure I don't find out while I'm up on the mountain. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's happened before. I'll uh, you know I'm guilty. I uh, l- let's kick this off. Uh, obviously, you know Phelps is is the uh, one and only sponsor for the School of September series. And so I definitely want to get any updates. I've got this really badass new bugle tube. I don't know if you know about this. It's called the the V2 Unleashed. And I'm pretty happy with this thing, man. Tell me a little bit about this bugle before we kick this off. All right, guys. Uh, we're back. Sorry about that. We had a little cutoff there. I, I I think I lost. I think I lost Jason because we're we're actually getting rain for the first time in like eight weeks. Yeah, uh, we need some rain. We need some rain for sure. Is it super smoky over there? It was all weekend. It was it was real real smoky, and then we got a pretty good west push here off the coast, and it cleaned us out today. So we're back to being able to see and breathe again. Man, it's like it's so nasty here. I you, I, I could taste smoke on my on, on my tongue, and like my lungs hurt. Um. Yeah. Anyways, we were talking before before we get back to the V two there and. Uh, I want to. I want to address if it is raining here. My my cell service gets sketchy, so if I lose you, it's probably my fault because uh, okay. of this storm no worries, system. No so, anyways, I was uh, just asking you about this V two unleashed, um, and uh, you were going to tell us about it. Yeah, that was my my baby. You know, we we bring we brought out the unleashed 
the original Unleashed back in 2016, and it was a great tube. You know, big sound, real accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, that you wanted in a plastic tube, but you started to get some things, you know, along the way. Oh, it's too big. Like, can you make it smaller? Um, you know, two years ago, we released the metal beagle tube that had our easy bigler attachment on it, which for people that can't run a diaphragm was very useful. So we wanted to go back to drawing board. Let's make the unleashed about half the size, get the same big sound volume, and then be able to attach the easy bigler to it. And so that's kind of what, what started that. And then, you know, through a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, design and, and testing for back pressure and whatnot, we were able to get that down to about half the size and about, um, you know, five or six ounces, uh, six ounces lighter. So it really turned out, um, real well. Yeah. I, I like it. I was going to grab it and, uh, like blow on it real quick, but I just realized it's in, in it's in my truck. <laughs> so oh, that, there you go. That's, that's a good spot I, for it. Yeah. That's where I practice, man. I, I, uh, I like to drive around bugling at stuff. So, um, the uh, I I like the size I like the sound um, I I haven't like gone up on a draw that's always my test I always like to go yep. like uh, up on top of j- just overlooking a big you know drainage or something and see how it echoes which that metal tube man that thing will knock the fur back on something two miles away I love yep. I love hitting the top of a drainage with that thing like I don't know like ten o'clock ish. And I'll just rip a big, long, loud bugle into a drainage, and that thing elicits responses from far away. Yeah, and that's yeah, no. that's been my experience. What about you? Yeah, I, I love that metal tube. Um, I know Dirk was real partial to his his uh, you know his Renegade, the bigger plastic, cut off a little shorter, and we would always battle on a hunt. You know, like mm-hmm. I just I feel like that frequency that that metal hits, um, it carries great volume. And we're always after that, like certain tone to get them to like give up their, you know, their location. And I just always felt the metal did a really good job at it. I don't um, know. I don't know. I, I don't know like the science behind it, Jason, with what, what that metal does. You know how you can get that. You need that real high pitch sound to get those more stubborn bulls to, to sound off back. And it, it like. For for me at least, this is this is my experience with it. For me, that metal one, it maintains that high pitch at long distances, which you don't get. I love this Renegade, and I love the original Unleashed, uh, but you don't get that that longevity of yeah. that high pitch sound from that metal, and so it, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it just it just it's got a different resonance frequency. It's a little bit higher than the plastics, um, which helps it carry. Um, you know. I, I don't want to use the word pierce wrong, but it kind of pierces the air a little. It, it just it penetrates, you know, canyons better, whatever words you want to use. But um, it definitely, um, you know, travels well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what what about, uh, I wanted to ask you, I know this is a school of September, but I also wanted to ask about these uh, these deer calls you guys came out with. Was that last year you came out with them? Yeah, yeah. We brought the whole category out last year. We got a few new, new ones coming here um, next month. But yeah. Well, expanded into deer um always had kind of messed with them and had ideas and then decided it was just time to to bring those deer calls out um last year yeah the uh what's the what is the the one called it's like sitting behind me but if, i'd have to stand up to grab it <laughs> probably the beta uh, yeah the, the, beta. the beta was like our yeah the, the beta works dude uh, we got, we got whitetails going crazy here in North Idaho, uh, last November on that beta. I called in a bunch yeah, of bucks. It's, it's a great call. And, and one of the things when we went to design it is like, why, why is nobody building like a high quality deer call that's built like on a, a integrated acrylic tone board? Like we build waterfowl calls. Like why are people not building them that way? And so we just, 
I don't know. I wasn't going to do any more market research than that. Let's build it. Cause in my opinion, that's going to be the best quality deer call we could. And, and, uh, you know, put that rubber bell on it and the, the thing just, it rocks. And, and same feedback we got from a lot of people, like it's very quickly turned into, um, you know, a lot of people's favorite deer call. And one thing I was real hesitant with is where we had to set the price, you know, cause it's basically a, a giant duck call. Yeah. Um, it, when you, when you think of the construction and, you know, people sell duck calls for 150 bucks. So these things aren't cheap cause you're building them out of, you know, solid acrylic. You know, I was real worried like, Oh boy, we're going to put a deer call at 79.99 and take a bunch of heat. But you know, a lot of the reviews and, and talking to people are like, man, I was real hesitant. Didn't want to spend that, but it was, you know, it's unique enough and it was well worth it. And, and we like to think of that thing as like a generational call, right? Like you can use it. Your kid can use it. Hopefully your grandkids can use it. If you don't lose it, like the, the thing's built to last. So, um, I like yeah. to be able to hang my hat on that. Well, I think, I think you nailed it with that. Uh, and, and again, I'm not trying to make this a big Phelps commercial, but, uh, you nailed it with the deer calls because deer calls have always been one of those things that I feel like I'm, I'm spending good money after bad every year. And I've never been great at calling in deer. I've never, it's just never been a thing for me, even though I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. you know, I get, I get pretty excited about calling anything in. And, uh, that's those, those chintzy plastic crappy deer calls, you know, you have to replace them every year, or if it gets super cold, you're out there, you know, towards Thanksgiving, and, you know, maybe maybe it's 25 degrees outside first thing in the morning, and, and like, they just, they would fail you. And where with this one, it was real consistent throughout all the different temperatures, all the different uh, seasons that I was I was using it, and I actually, like, feel like I finally found my my stride with... with uh, communicating with bucks because i've never had that before i always felt like it was just pure luck you know i'd use that <laughs> you yeah. know that that primos can you flip it over and it's like and, yeah. <laughs> and, and that has worked for me but there was no consistency that like zero yeah. consistency where this last year i felt like i finally got something where i've got consistent consistency if i know there's a buck nearby i pull that thing out and i make a couple of just like soft grunts on it and no kidding, man, like almost every time they would at least come out and show themselves to the point where I could determine if I wanted to make a shot or not. It, it was cool. Yep. I've never had that in a deer season. Yeah, I had really, yeah, a lot of good luck. And, and I think it's, a, it's a, a real good call, you know, and uh, the most confusing thing about that call was the name beta, right? You, you name something a beta and it's, yeah. it's supposed to be inferior, but um yeah, it was it was more based on like the the mature sound. So our alpha call was the most mature deer or buck, just based on sound alone. And then beta, even though with its higher construction quality, produced a slightly less, a little bit, um, you know, less deep call, less mature call. So yeah. that's kind of where that crazy naming convention lines up. No, it makes sense, man. I, I'm just I'm glad to see you guys doing this and and just pushing out these new calls and and kind of you know just. Always pushing the envelope, dude. That's that's what makes that's what makes. I, I say it all the time in like the the Phelps ad that I do, like the the story of Phelps game calls starting, you know, like in your basement or your garage or whatever, and now now you know, eleven, twelve years later, however long later, you guys are coming out with this new technology every year. These new calls are high quality. They're not chintzy. You guys aren't like selling out to you know mass produce lesser quality kind of calls they just are like the maverick i'm i'm using right now is the same maverick and pink call or, or even that gray amp i really like that gray um yep. it, it's the same it's the same stuff that it was you know five years ago and and that's kind of where you could tell uh whether or not 
you know, things as, as the company grows, uh, you know, this, this mentality of, of let's mass produce and reduce quality. So the profits are, are better and we're able to produce more at a time or whatever, you guys have managed to not fall into that. And, and I, I just thought it would be cool to kind of share my insight with that as a, as a guy who kind of geeks out on all sorts of different calls and doesn't matter if it's turkey or deer or elk or whatever. I, I just like this stuff. So good yeah. job. No, I, I appreciate you noticing that too, because I think it probably goes unnoticed. It's just, we just look like the most expensive calls out there. And, and uh, it's not my intention. I just always said, regardless of price, like how good of call can I design and build and then go from there? You know, there is the business sense where you can't sell it for, you know, crazy amounts of money, but that's always been our, our design philosophy. Let's design the best call see how much it costs and then, um, you know, live in that realm versus let's make it as cheap as possible or most profitable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, cool, man. I'm excited for you guys. Um, thanks. Yeah. The, uh, I guess let's, let's talk a little elk hunting, man. I want to talk about, are are you going to be taking that V2 out to the woods this year? I think so. Um, you know, I always, I always want to use the new stuff, test it, see if there's any way we could improve on it or if it's, you know, we did get to test that one quite a bit. So we know it's going to be pretty dialed, but yeah, we'll, we'll be, uh, letting, uh, letting bugles rip with the uh, V2 this year. What about Dirk? What's he going to, is he going to run with that renegade or is he going with a V2 as well? Uh, he's going to, mo- he's going, uh, modified V2. So I think he's actually gonna take his mouthpiece off and just run it, um, with, without the, any of the flared mouthpieces, I think was, was his strategy. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. You can take the the flare yeah. off of the V two, so because that that mouthpiece is a little wider than like the yeah, renegade. Yeah, and Dirk, yeah, and Dirk's always you know even on the renegade, he took the flared off, so it's just his style. So he's gonna just uh, take that flared mouthpiece off again and just run straight through the tube. Um, Have you convinced him yet to run total Maverick, or I'm sorry, pink call instead of the Maverick? Or no, he's too proud to ever uh, to ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> man i always i always wish i want i always want to take a side and it depends on if i'm talking to you i'll take your side if i'm talking to him i take his side but man they're both good go. calls dude i've called in elk yeah, with both they're... of them so <laughs> yeah and one of the weird things which i won't ever admit to Dirk, and hopefully doesn't listen to this one so he'll because he'll never let me live it down <laughs> um the i the the unleashed v2 has enough back pressure that i can finally blow the maverick like and make it sound good and loud enough. That's always been my thing is I couldn't blow it loud enough. It's just the way everything works where that new V2 actually cranks, uh, it has enough back pressure that I can run that, uh, Maverick really, really well in it. So, uh, hmm. if you could, if you could edit that out of the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. But, uh, depends on, yeah. depends on what kind of check you want to write. <laughs> Getting a bidding war between me and Dirk. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of miss you guys having that little rivalry of uh, different calls and wearing uh, goofy outfits. What you guys got anything like that coming up this season? We don't. They, I've, I've just stopped betting him. Um, he came over and we did that nerd lab thing with the development of the V two, and he just anything that guy dreams up. Like my personality is not comfortable and those and he, it just makes my skin crawl so i'm just not betting him anymore just in case i lose <laughs> you never know man i had i was driving around i had a great idea for like the loser's outfit but now now i'm drawing a blank as to what what that would be and uh so i'll keep you guys posted if i ever come up with okay. a new okay. idea all right perfect <laughs> i'll pitch it to dirk because uh, i don't think i could sell you on it yeah i really appreciate that Jim. <laughs> well uh again just you, you know 
School of September, the idea with this this series and this podcast, uh, when, when we're talking about September archery elk season, there is a myriad of ways of uh, to go into the field and hunt elk and be successful. And there's there's a there's a pile of different like methods and strategies that people we use that um, proved to be consistently successful for them. And everybody's got a little bit different approach. Everybody's got a little different opinion. Doesn't mean any of them are right or wrong. It just means that's what works for them. And so the idea with these episodes, and I again I say this in every School of September series, but. You never know who's listening for the first time with this series is that people get the information from people like you who are experts at calling in elk and and they can take that information and put it kind of in their mental toolbox and hopefully they'll be on a mountain. They'll have an elk chiming in somewhere and it'll be like this unique situation. They'll be like, you know what? I remember in this case, Jason would do this and that's what's worked for him. I'm going to try it. Might lead to a notch tag. That's the idea here, and so I, I just want to try to get as much information out of out of somebody like you. That is, it's always educational for me. So I don't I don't really care what you say. I'm I'm going to learn from it, and I hope <laughs> I hope the audience does too. I want to I want to start out talking about cow calls, and and getting your take on different ways and and approaches with a cow call, whether it's a you know external call or a, a diaphragm. And and talk to us a, a little bit about like what your strategy is when you're going out and locating elk with cow calls, or if you're in a situation where you're calling in a bull using only cow calls, and then we'll switch to some some bugles. Um, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. So cow calls. Um, and and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I want to preface this with there's a lot of ways to do this, right? You you've had other people on that spot and stock. You have other people on that maybe called different. And this is just like what goes through my head and how I've like related um, it, it, it to what I'm doing. So it, to use cow calls for locations, usually I want to call it like a, a warm setup. Like I've smelled elk or um, like the, the, the topography and terrain and vegetation lays out in a way where like, Hey, at this point, like it doesn't necessarily make a good spot to let out a big giant bugle. If there's elk here, they're going to hear, hear this cow call. Um, and, and so I reserve that for kind of short distance. Um, if I, if I smell elk and and the wind's right for me, I'll never try to call an elk, you know, with the wind bad. But if I, I feel like, all right, the tracks cross the trail, they're going down here. I can smell them. Um, wind's good or whatever it may be. Uh, I'll I'll use a call, a cow call in that scenario. Um, but we'll cow call through our tube to let it, if, if there's a situation where, um, like there's more ground to cover. We want that cow call to be, um, exaggerated and louder. Um, we will, but for the most part, we're going to locate, you know, I typically locate with a bugle, but there are a few scenarios where, um, you know, fresh tracks, fresh smell, um, or a spotted elk, um, across the way, it's maybe taking you a little while to get there, which is a lot of our mornings and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. When we get back over there, maybe rather than, um, kind of started a higher threat level with a bugle, you may just cow call, um, you know, to locate those elk or to get a response versus popping in there with a bugle because we'll, we'll probably get into it in a little bit. Um, I don't want to bugle and give that bull a chance to run away until I know right where he's at. And yeah. so uh, being able to cow call. And uh, I think you're also, we're also trying to play uh off of just their natural instinct. So if a cow calls, that bull will typically bugle 
because he wants her to come join, you know, his herd. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it just makes sense to, to do that. Um, then the second part of your question, as far as like, how do I use cow calls when calling a bull in? Um, if I'm only going to use cow calls, typically I know um, that it's one, either it's a satellite bull searching. He doesn't have any cows and he's not a herd bull. Um, we will lay on um, heavy, heavy cow calls, right? Mm-hmm. If that's the case. The other instance, if it is a herd bull, but he's reacting in very, very, I don't want to say aggressive to a cow call, but he responds aggressively or quickly. Um, if it's working, there's no sense to like, you know, me and Dirk beagle a lot, right? Or, or our systems require beagling, but we would both tell you, I would tell you every time if that bull is responding well to cow calls and he's, he's closing the distance or he's getting closer and that's all you have to do, by all means, stick to it. Do not risk, um, you know, the, the do not risk bugling and, and screwing that up. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like we ran a very similar system, but uh, we would be a fool to, to, to try to run a, a program or do what we want just because it's what we do versus we're smart enough to know, like, we're just going to stick with what's working. I want to go back to your, you were talking, I, I love these scenario type questions and because I, I think yeah. these, these different scenarios are what people get into and it's like, man, what do I do now? Um, you were talking about, you're you're out there. You 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 know you're in an area that that's uh, you know obviously it's pretty elky. There's some trails and and you can smell them. And and because I, I run into this a lot in this in this like North Idaho real dark timber. You know you'll just be moving through it and all of a sudden you're just in a spot and you know this is where they're bedding or maybe they're passing through on their way to their feeding areas. A lot of use, a lot of fresh tracks, a lot of a lot of sign right. Yeah. And and I you know that feeling you get. You just you just kind of know there's some elk in the area, and you could just yep. smell them. You can almost taste that smell, and like I could taste the fires right now because of all the damn smoke. It's it's kind of yep. like that situation. You get in there, you check the wind, and you have you have maybe you're suspicious the the elk are above you. Winds coming down, uh, thermals are coming down, or or vice versa. Maybe the the you know. It's, afternoon and the thermals are going up and you can you can just kind of smell you're picking up something from below you what yep. kind of cow call is jason doing at that point you know i'll, I'll probably if so if I'm, I'm i'm i think they're around but i'm not necessarily calling to them yet i'll probably just do a pretty sharp like mature cow meal just to see if i get a response at that point you know now if you ask that question we're we're starting to work a bull or we're, we're combining cow calling with a bugling as you're close. Like I would go more to like an estrus wine, like a more needy, urgent call. But if I'm just trying to get a, a bull to locate, like a, a very sharp, um, pointed um, cow call, because I don't really know if those elk are 100 yards away, or 300 yards away, or 500, right? And a lot of yeah. times, is is a, is a you know a, some I, I call myself somewhat educated elk hunter, but a lot of times that smell is coming from maybe they pissed in that area. Or and so they might be a mile away at that point, right? And so mm-hmm. you just never know where they're at catching that smell. You know, we've uh, I think if you've been out there long enough, you've shadowed or followed tracks long enough, and you're like, man, I've smelled elk for a mile, and I'm still not caught up to them, or I haven't heard the bugle. Um, there, there's times, you know, based on where they're pissing and, and stage of the estrus or the rut that they're at, like how stinky they are. Um, so I, I'll usually I'll still just let that loud. Um, sharp estrus, uh, not estrus, excuse me, the large, loud, sharp, um, just your normal cow meal to you see know, if we get a response from the know, pad. 
you don't have a call on you, do you? Um, I've got predator calls here. I got an old pink call. I do have one here. Do you? I'd, I'd be curious to hear what that sounds like, what, what you're talking about. Okay. So just, uh, I'm going to put the phone away here and then, uh, away from my face and I'll kind of explain just what a, a loud, sharp mew. So just a uh, loud, sharp, you know, a little more volume than if I was calling in close. Okay. I'll um, just see if they answer. So that's a little bit more like a, I, do you have, what's your opinion on, uh, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there about what the elk are saying, you know, like Chris Rose stuff. I love, I yep. love Chris Rose stuff, you know, cause he's, he's got an explanation. Well, you, if you draw this part out, they're saying this, if you draw that part out, they're saying that, do you have an opinion on that? Or is it, is it just more circumstantial when you're out there? That's the sound that you found works the best. It, and, and this is where I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not claiming to agree or disagree. I just, I grew up in the woods, spent a lot of time out there and like being an engineer by nature. Um, I feel like I've observed a lot and, and I haven't, I don't buy into the vocalizations meaning a whole lot um, because I've seen a cow do this one time and made a different call. I've seen the cow do something different the next time made a different call. You know, it's like, yeah, me too. I, I've got, I've got enough history and experience just because, um, I've been out there enough that I, I haven't been able to draw as hard of a conclusion as some of these guys on their vocalizations. And trust me, like as an engineer, like as a very uh, scientific, mathematic, physics-oriented brain, I want there to be a solution for everything that happens, right? So more than anybody, I want their vocabulary. Their, gosh, I think I had a stroke. I can't even talk. Their vocabulary. <laughs> I, I want their vocabulary to mean something because that makes my life a whole lot easier, right? If yeah. I can say, well, they did this, now I need to do this. I just haven't been able to draw those conclusions uh, quite yet. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm kind of the same way because I, I there is, there's just not enough consistent reactions for, for me. I, I don't like, you're, and you're way more like analytical than I am. So I'm glad to hear you say that, but uh, I'm I'm more of a okay. This is what has worked in the past. Let's try that. And and you know like the I've had what what some people have called a lost mew sound. Uh, I've heard that or I've used that, and it's worked great for totally different situations. Or or you know yep. the the roundup mew or whatever they call it. You know they have all the there's all these these different names for them, and um, they just I don't know they the only thing that I have found that is consistent across September for, for me with all the elk that, that I, I've had these encounters with is that, that real basic lazy locator bugle that elk make it, it seems yep. to be the only pattern. I don't know that uh, be, because I, I had one elk last year, dude, that I, I was, we were, we're talking back and forth and he was like, uh, he's scraping, you know, he's, he's just beating the shit out of this bush right and yep. and i could see him down there doing all i could see is the top of top of his antlers and and he's acting like he's really really pissed off but then he would just when i'd bugle and and he'd answer me it would be like this weird just real quick you know yep. no, nothing long drawn out where usually when they're pissed off they're they're gonna scream a little bit more give you a chance to cut them off you know and he never did that and uh yeah so i don't i don't know yeah I, i'm with you on that 
Yeah, I mean, the only other correlation that I feel like is fairly consistent is if we get close to a herd bull and don't give him like an exit strategy. Um, those those challenge beagles typically are pretty similar. Now you might get a bull that lip balls versus the one that growls, but there's that level of frustration that you can read on a bull. And I take it more as frustration because they may scream at you. They may bark, scream at you or bark, chuckle or do a big challenge beagle. But there's, that's where I base it more on frustration or attitude because it is very consistent, even though their bugles change. So, you know, being able to sneak in on a bull, you know, hundreds of bulls and call them in, um, and, and they all got a little bit different bugle, but they all reacted the same, right? I snuck mm-hmm. in, got to hundred yards, did my thing. I bugled at them and they're all different. Like this bull did a pretty high note bugle and chuckled six times and came in. The next bull was screaming his head off like a two second and he came in. So it's like, all right, now I, I don't claim to know what those bugles meant or what they were saying but all i know is i did the same thing got the wind right got the 100 yards bugled at them and they came in with these two completely different sounds yeah so it's like are you telling me one bull came in trying to round up his cows and the other bull came in looking for a fight you know so it's like when you try to reduce it to all these situations i've been in and, and like i say i'm good friends with a lot of these guys um it's like i just i can't as much as i want to make a correlation to all of this language and what they do every time, I just can't yet. Sure, sure. So, in back, going back to that scenario where you're you're kind of bugling or not bugling, just making it that that sharp cow call you were doing when you're in that situation. Let's let's take the element of you you know there's elk there, um, out of it, right? Like you're not smelling them. Maybe you see some sign. It could be a couple of days old. And you've been you've been hiking all day. You haven't had any responses on anything at that point. Do you ever use a cow call for like a a cold calling sequence or like what some people use? They they, they talk about like the breeding sequence or the what are they? Well, I've heard a bunch of different terms for it. But anyway, um, does this make sense? What I'm asking It's like I or or vice or um, not vice versa, but. Um, would you go to like a bugle to do like some kind of cold call sequence? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I, I think I had a stroke I too, I, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the patience to, to cold call. And, and it, I'm going to put a caveat on this. I, I'm out there for a different experience, right? I have cold called like on a long hunt and you're just like, man, none of my systems are working. None of my uh, prescriptions are ever going to work out and you kind of lose faith. So, you're willing to go sit by a wallow or like a, an area you've been seeing across and you're not going to make a peep. Um, I don't have the patience and, and it will work. Um, but I would rather go find a, an elk that's warm. Um, and, and, and typically from, from my experience and, and just, you know, bugling through an area and then getting frustrated and walking through the timber, like on my way back, like making sure there's like, all right, if there's an elk here, I'm either going to bump them or I'm going to leave them. Yeah. Um, like I'm going to like, Typically, we've got a pretty good chance uh, of getting a response if there are elk there. Now, there are elk that just won't respond. One year in Idaho, uh, back in uh, 18 or 19, uh, one of those years when we were there, it was a real, real tough hunt because I was spotting bulls, like, coming out uh, of a timber patch or, like, in a little open pocket, you know, where you could mm-hmm. see into the timber. And I just bugled there, like, 15 times and nothing. And it, it was... It, it had happened way more than, than once, you know, so we were 10, 15 uh, instances where I bugled into a Canyon, 
didn't get a single response. And then you glass up bulls like above timberline over there, you know, five minutes later or a bull down in the bottom of the creek. And you're like, well, this is, this just made this game almost impossible, at least the way we hunt because nothing's answering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that, that becomes real tough, um, to, to do that. And so I'm, I'm always under the impression, whether I'm right or wrong, like if there's a bull here, he would have answered me unless you're in a scenario like that where it's obvious or, um, but I will move on to try to find an elk that that's warm. And usually, you know, within the confines of the month of September, you know, September 1st, the 30th, you should be able to get a bull to people some, uh, somewhere in that unit. Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, what do you have, do you have like something that is work call wise when you're in one of those situations where it's like, man, I have been hiking my butt off. I've been trying this call and that call. I've, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is there, is there like a hell Mary call you've ever, you've ever used or done that, uh, you could share or is that not a thing? It is there. I mean, there was one instance, uh, very specific, um, which, led me to believe like this whole idea that like a location bugle is a two to three note high bugle that is short hurts your ears. You know, we, we, I get, I say that all the time, but it, it's what works most of the time. But um, like we will eventually locate with challenge bugles. Like we will growl, we'll lip ball, we'll add all the chuckles and what on the end um, just because we've got bulls to answer. Um, 2011, um, we knew there were bulls in the area. We had glossed them across the drainage that morning, left them alone, came back that night, beagled, beagled, you know, what was supposedly the location beagle, the pretty little beagle off of the landing over and over and over, nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, within a minute, I, I let it kind of cool off a minute, rip off a challenge beagle. And he answers, you know, a couple hundred yards across the Canyon. That bull had been there the whole time. I knew he heard every oh, other interesting. beagle. Um, so it's just like, but, but that's one time that worked, but one thing I really like to do that I do more so than challenge bugle or, or what I would consider a challenge bugle is, um, a mid note location bugle. And, and it's a little bit more than like a lazy bedded bugle, you know, where that bull's really lackluster. He's just kind of going through the motions while he's bedded down. Mm-hmm. This bugle will, will use at times. And it's a lot lower, uh, tone than like a high pitched screaming bugle that you, that's the quintessential bugle that you all hear the note that everybody's trying to get up to the real high note. Um, I stop about halfway and it takes a little more skill and control, but we let just a real, a real mid tone, uh, lazy bugle. And we've started to get a bunch of responses, um, using that. Okay. Can you teach me that one? Do you got a, You got a tube there? Yeah, I'm going to, I got a tube here. So uh, bear with me. If this isn't good, I'm blaming it on an old read that I found on my desk, but uh, (laughs) I'll I'll pull the phone away. And this is more of a, I'm going to start with the high pitch bugle just to kind of give the example of what everybody's after. And then I'll try to come back and hold this like mid tone bugle. All right, sweet. You guys. Yep. That would be your high bugle. Now this is going to be that mid tone bugle. Okay. So just not, not getting high and screaming, just kind of holding it in the middle, not not having to go way high. The way you you describe that, like you know, it's a little bit more than they when they do that lazy bugle, and that's that's a perfect way to explain it. I want to I, I want to try it on my tube here because I I, okay. I want to learn that one. There's because there's there's a this I don't know. I want to get out of this rut of r- feeling like I'm running out of tools when I'm not getting responses. And so you did that that high pitch locate bugle, and this is just kind of a, a like almost like a 
if you're a musician, like a like a half a note down, you know. Yep. Yep. Try. Did you hear? Did that even come through? Yeah, I, I heard it. Um, I think that was like too high. Like too high. You know how the the Terminator, you know, the old Primo's Terminator stair stepped very distinctly, like do 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 do. Yep. So what I would do with the diaphragm to like really get it in the right place is just almost force it to stair step, and then figure out about where your tongue needs to be to hold it about in the middle. Um, okay. It's, it. it's kind of the idea, and it takes it's it's a little more. It's easy. It's easier for guys to ramp through and get to the high note. It takes a little more like thought to like, all right, you got to kind of hold this in the middle where it's just, uh, you know, at the, at the right place. All right, do it, do it again, man, because I want I want people to be able to like hit that, you know, back fifteen second button and just keep practicing yeah. this one. Okay. So a lot deeper. I you know I. Mm try to use the words to describe it maybe a little bit richer um it just doesn't skyrocket right to the high note though yeah and because you kind of went to a little higher and then kind of held that mid that deeper yeah 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 and when i get like mid-season form it becomes it becomes like put the memory because i'll use it so much but like right now and i don't know if this reads not making excuses but yeah it's it's more of that mid but typically if i can it'll just be like hold a single dull uh, you know, dull note or whatever you want to call it just that more rounded rich note and then you just yeah. hold that through and that's that's how you've gotten some uh, you've elicited a couple of responses that way when when nothing else yep. is working yeah when everything matter of fact the um the bull that we locate that dirk ended up calling in from in mexico like we were just struggling we were in new mexico couldn't get anything going for us um let one of those beagles and that kind of got the party started in the middle of the day um got a response to that and so um, yeah, it's just, but it's really just throwing, you know, throwing the, you know, ideas at the wall to see what sticks. And, and, uh, you know, there, there may be some hunts where you're in Idaho that you only want, you know, we're only getting answers to high pitch beagles. And when you come out here mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, Washington, it might be a thing where I'm just going to chuckle off my tube right off the bat, like no high pitch, no medium pitch. Like I just showed you, I'm just going to chuckle off of, uh, you know, the road that I'm working or the trail system or the ridge and and get answers from that. And so it's, and in a lot of places, it's a little bit of everything. Like this bull wants to respond to that. This next bull wants to respond to something different. And you're just kind of like, you know, using the, like a bass fisherman until you figure out what they're, they're biting. Like you're just going to keep, you know, tying on new, new spinners or whatnot until you figure it out. Yeah. And I want, I want people listening to like, like keep in mind with, when we're talking about going out and and you know practicing some of these calls, what you're trying to achieve is like second nature status. Like you notice, Jason picked up that bugle and just went right to that that bugle, and he didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to like you know run it through his mind and and do like a play by play before he was able to do it. Because what happens is when you get out in the elk woods, and Jason can like maybe add to this, but. When you get out there and and you're in a scenario and an elk is bugling at you, and you know you you need to respond in some way and you know what it is, but you haven't practiced it enough to where it's second nature, and you're you need to be able to just react, like just pick it up and do it. And I hope I'm making sense here, Jason. I, I might be just sound like a dumbass, but. I, I just no. that that second nature aspect of the whole thing, like okay, this guy he's mild, like you had mentioned chuckles. 
I uh, the the bull that I shot last year, I I never bugled at him. I never did anything but light, low key chuckles. Nothing super aggressive, because that's all he did to me. And and we just chuckled at each other from a hundred yards to twenty five yards. That's that's what we did. Is we just kind of you know those those real fast kind of kind of chuckles. And it was like. I think that that bull was well aware that down in the bottom of this drainage, I was like mid slope, way down in the bottom, another seven, eight hundred feet. There was this dude down there just blowing his mind, uh, bugle wise. Just, I mean, just everything he could launch out of that bugle tube. I have no idea what, what kind of gear he was using, but it, it sounded terrible. <laughs> and like yeah. you know, we we always make fun of Doug Flutie and what whatever. Well, Doug Flutie was down in the bottom of this thing, and he's just cranking off bugles, and uh, like he's fighting himself trying to get this response. And I wanted to like verify whether or not it was a bull or Doug Flutie. I was pretty sure it was Doug Flutie, but uh, the way I usually verify that is is a chuckle will will make or break a collar in my opinion. Yep. And so I I just did a very light chuckle to see if he'd respond to that. And uh, which he did, by the way, he blasted me with like a some crazy challenge bugle, totally inappropriate. But also the bull that was about a hundred yards from me, he chuckled back at me, and that's that's how I got him. And so, yep. what going back to that second nature topic? What? How do you get to that point where you're just like, man, okay, I I know what to do. Here it is. Here's the sound. I just produced it. Bull responded. Next thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's I'm gonna give the answer that makes me sound like I'm supposed to be an expert. And then I'm going to give you like the reality of the situation. You know, I don't want people to get the wrong impression that we know the right answer all the time. Right. A lot of this, no matter how many days and years or hours I've spent, uh, colon elk and, you know, being in different situations where I get to test stuff. Um, what we tell you on a, on a podcast or in a, in a informational or an educational format is what we feel works the most of the time. But there's so many different variables, um, wind, time of year, you know, all of this different stuff. In order to explain a scenario, we might have to, you might have to give me time of day, you know, heat, you know, heat for the last week, you know, all of this stuff that may play into that. Or so a lot of the, the answers that we give, it comes from, uh, there, there is some, thought put into it like well that bull did this we think it's a herd bull we're obviously not going to call until they get close right we don't want to push them away so you're you're using the information you can get really quickly versus like oh i seen the bull going across the ridge there we're going to go right to cow calling because that we've been in that situation enough we know that bugling at a lone bull running a ridge is probably not your best idea you know your best plan has it worked probably because we were trying to call a herd bull in one time and that satellite bull still came in um, you know, back when I was more of a Roosevelt hunter, we always, and some people got turned off by this. They're like, we only ever give strategies for herd bulls. I'm like, have, have you seen my rafters? Like I only kill satellite bulls. Right. <laughs> and that's what I would tell people like this strategy to get in tight to a herd bull. A lot of times you may still kill satellite bulls, but if I knew I only wanted to kill a satellite bull, I would go in there and not be able to cow call. So you're just trying to take like you're trying to weigh the risks of what you've got in front of you and, and playing to those, uh, you know, factors. And then there's the reality of the, the thing is you're going off of your gut. Like, yeah, there's a lot of experience in there, but there may be times where I'm like, you know what? I just feel like on this, 
bull and the way he's reacting, we can't go in there and hammer him with challenge beagles. So I need to sneak in and hit him with some cow calls and see if that gets him to move. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, I wish there was more of a, you know, a probability or, uh, you know, I, I keep using the word correlation, but like, I wish there was more of a, of a way to tell what you should do, but it, 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 we've been in the situation so many times. I can tell you that one time a challenge bugle is going to work and the next time the bull is going to turn and run, or he's going to sit there and bugle back and forth with you for five minutes and then leave. So there's still a lot of trial and error. And a lot of it just comes down to like what we're feeling in that moment, even though we run, you know, the, the same program a lot, it, it still varies from, from day to day situation to situation. And after doing this for, 27 years or however many years it's been doing and trying to call in as many bulls as I can. Uh-huh. I still go into a lot of these scenarios, a little unsure if, if it's going to work out yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that time or, or the next time. I mean, elk hunting would be pretty boring if we were sure how it was going to work every single time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are, there are scenarios where you're like, Oh shoot, this is like got everything good in my favor. You know, like, uh, if I can see a satellite bull and know that it's a satellite bull and he's covering ground, bugling as he goes, like that bull searching for a cow, like all I got to do is get close to him and lay on cow calls. Yeah. You know, and then there's, then there's a herd bull where you get between him and his cows unannounced or you sneak up in him in the timber. Um, like that just became a very, very uh, good situation, you know? So there, there are situations that you find yourself in that uh, will lend themselves to like a higher probability of success. But then there's a lot of them where it's like, ah, no matter how many times I've been here, like, you know, in reality, we're probably, uh, you know, crossing our fingers for a 25% chance that this works out for us. Can I ask you something based on, you said something earlier, um, you know, the, the concept of going after a herd bull versus a satellite bull. Most of us that, like including me, but most most of the folks that are listening to this, we we'd be totally fine with a satellite bull i don't need the yep, herd bull yep. man i'm not good exactly, enough yeah. i'm not good enough to go chase down herd bulls every time and and a lot of people listening too you know that sometimes we take for granted like i i have way more time to hunt elk than than most people right I, it's just the yep. the way i've set my life up and so not everybody has the luxury of of uh, going after you know some monster and so you know a little little raghorn sat bull or, or whatever is, yeah. is totally even yep. a spike how do you go about what, like, what's the difference in your mind between targeting a herd bull versus getting out there and just hunting the first bull that gives you a clean shot? Yeah. And I may be wrong on this. There are spots and it really depends on the area out in herd dynamics, right? If, if, uh, you can, I can go to one area and one bull's running two cows and, and that seems to be your herd size and, and maybe a big mature bull will have four or five cows. And then you go to the next yeah. area and the herd bull's got 20 cows. And so it really depends on the area you're at and whether you, how the bulls are running, like, uh, are three or four satellite bulls completely detached from the herd. Like that might be a scenario where there's a herd bull, maybe one semi-mature bulls shadow in the herd is a satellite bull. But then what we consider satellites or raghorns, there might be four or five of them. They're just off on their own. Right. Yeah. Um, that scenario is going to be a lot different because if, if I'm okay killing anything, we, we do this all the time because we get bored. If there's maybe a bull we don't want to kill or we're just going to burn some time, like we'll call them in uh, on occasion. And those, those elk, if it's, if it's uh, just satellite bulls, no, no cows involved, like lots and lots of heavy cow calls. Um, and, and you can typically, typically uh, get those. Now there'll be another herd. Let's say 
the herd bull with 20 cows, but he's got four or five satellite bulls shadowing him. Your best bet to kill those satellite bulls is still until right at the end um, is to hunt them just like a herd bull. You're going to find them, you're going to be quiet, and you're going to get close with the wind rate. And then when you move in, rather than maybe challenging this bull, you're going to go to just heavy cow calling, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of these satellite bulls, a lot of those satellite bulls I've killed in the past when I was trying to kill herd bulls, they come in just out of curiosity. Um, and so by getting close, you've still got those satellite bulls around and uh, it works. And a lot of times, um, you know, the, the those satellite bulls, you know, whether they're bedded down or whether they're off the herd, they're staying the herd bulls keeping them 100, 150 yards off of the herd at times. And so usually those are the elk you're going to run into first and you're going to have your best chance at anyways. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's really, uh, you know, going, you know, a lot of people ask, well, I've got a cow tag for the rut. Well, guess what? I'm going to still go locate herd bulls just like I would, because guess where all the cows are at? The cows aren't going to yell at you from the bottom of a canyon, but a bull will. And if a bull, is going to answer a lot of times those cows are around. So you're going to use those same strategies. Same thing with satellite bulls. I'm going to locate herd bulls. I'm going to get tight to them because that's usually where those satellite bulls are going to be for the most part. Man, and, and sometimes those cows, they'll, they will chime off, man. I, yeah, they will. Yeah. <laughs> I was working my way. I knew there was a bull up there. I'd heard him from, I don't know, two, 300 yards away. And I just kind of, exactly what you were talking about. My, my thought was I'm going to get close within, you know, 60 to 100 yards and I'll just let off another little bugle and see if he answers. Well, apparently, Jason, I got way closer than I than I thought. <laughs> they were like on the other side of the bushes, and and I did a little, um, you know, just a little locator bugle kind of thing. And no kidding, man, the the cows all jumped up, and all of a sudden I could see them. They're jumping up. I'm like 20 yards from these elk. And the cows are going nuts. They're meow, 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 meow. And, and the bull jumps up. He is madder than I've ever seen a bull. Uh, he, he, he's just blown away. He let another bull get that close to his cows or something. And, and he cranks off this nasty bugle and comes charging through. And it was crazy. It's fun. So, um, <laughs> yeah. The, the cow- yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, cows can be very talkative. I just. I typically lean to the bulls giving up their location, but you know, I've been on hunts like in Wyoming when I was there in 19. Um, and, and like there were cows that were, wouldn't shut up for hours at a time. And like, well, that'd make mm-hmm. it super easy to keep track of, you know, but um, yeah, it's hit or miss. You know, sometimes they're very vocal. Sometimes they're, they're tight lipped. I like what you said about, you know, regionally how the, the herd sizes are going to vary. And I want to, I, I, you know, you speak to that from a sense, like sometimes I think hunters, watch some of these YouTube videos and, and they, they see somebody hunting elk in say Wyoming or Colorado where these herd sizes are way bigger than what they are somewhere like North Idaho, Western Montana. Right. And, and like in, for, for the most part in North Idaho, you don't see 30, 40 elk together. Right. Yeah. With the exception of where they're uh, wintering up for the, uh, during the winter, but like during September, I mean, maybe eight is is going to be your max but usually it's like two cows and one bowl or something uh and and then what happens is you'll get these groups of like three or four guys that go out and they're hunting together and they want to you know uh replicate maybe what they've seen on on youtube or whatever uh and and they'll all start cow calling it makes it sound like there's 30 different elk up there uh you're putting off the wrong impression in my opinion and, and yeah. that's that, that whole drainage goes quiet after that, you know, and, and vice versa. Um, 
The uh, this was leading to a really good question, Jace. Like the best question ever, and it's like totally <laughs> left my mind. Um, what was it, man? Uh, oh, I was I was going to tell you too. Uh, so I, I'm emailing back and forth with uh, Jim Heffelfinger. You know, you know Jim Heffelfinger? Yep, yep. Man, he's a stud. Man, he's always got yeah, the he's best. Yeah, he's an awesome hands. guy. I like I like that he'll like take the time to he'll he'll see my dumb question that I'll I'll email over to him, and he takes the time to give me an actual like educated response. It's not just like, yes, thanks. You know, it's like, I'll get two or three paragraphs, but he was saying that, uh, we would all be super surprised at the amount of young bulls and young bucks that end up breeding during the rut. And, and it's, it's both the same for uh, mule and whitetail deer and elk. He said that you would be surprised how many times a satellite bull will slip in on a herd bull and actually get a cow pregnant in in the time it takes that bull to even react that herd bull because maybe he's off busy like you said sometimes they're off 100 yep. yards from the herd yeah what do you think and no i'm i you know so i have to learn from the biologists i've i've been fortunate to to interview some biologists lately and um, one of the things that uh kind of was eye opening to me is depending on the health of the the area like if the food was there everything you know these cows are coming in healthy like the majority of them will come into estrus all within five days. So if you imagine that bull, the bigger his herd gets, um, let's say for, for easy math, 10, 10 out, you know, he's got 10 cows for that one herd bull. Like the chances of all 10 of those coming into estrus in, in a unit that's got good feed, isn't like under severe drought, didn't have a burn, didn't like have a hard winter, you know, so all the health indicators are good. Like that bull sometime might have to deal with all those cows within that five day stretch or maybe yeah. five of them within one day. So you can see how you can get like very distracted trying to like, you know, breed and maintain one where it would be very easy for these other bulls to like slip in um, while he's busy. Yeah. Um, and we've all seen it. I think where that herd bull will get, you know, I mean, use a white tail term, kind of get on lockdown and he'll push that cow a hundred yards off. And he's trying to, you know, he's got her you know, trying to, trying to breed her and she's off on her own. Well, guess what? You kind of lose interest in his other cows for the time being, um, mm-hmm. you know. And if if one of those are in, you know, it'd be very easy for another bull to, to hop in. Yeah, he he um, was also saying, and and I I think I've noticed this too that like like that that term. I, I know it is. I agree. It's a it's a it's a whitetail term, but there is that thing where there is one particular cow that that bull is most interested in, right? And that's where all his focus yep. is at that at that moment. And it's almost like all the satellite bulls. They are not as far away as that that herd bull wants them to be, right? And and they just like yeah. know when he's occupied, and they'll they'll slip in, and and those are those are the bulls I think that are easiest to kill, uh, with the exception of maybe a dumb spike here and there. But I don't know. What's, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. No. No, I agree. Um, those those satellite bulls that are full of piss and vinegar and kind of see their their opportunity there are sometimes uh, easy to kill. Uh, yeah, they're they're not quite as calculated as the big herd bull. Um, they, they, uh, they get a little anxious and, uh, you know, in that moment. And I think they do some things that, that with, with disregard for their safety at times, you yeah. know, but we've, we've, we've seen that, you know, growing up hunting Roosevelt's where, uh, you know, a herd bull breaks off a cow and, and you've got a satellite and that bull is typically, he's going to, you know, you cow call or, uh, whatever beagle. And he, he thinks he's, you know, king of the world at that moment. Like we've, we've killed them multiple different ways because of, um, you know, that satellite bull thinking he's, he's king of the world there for a little bit, or, yeah. um, you know, you blow a cow call, he's willing to come check on any of them because he knows that, you know, they have some way of knowing that that herd bull is occupied. All right. I want to, I want to shift gears. I, I'm like, 
I, I don't want to run too long with you because I know I was uh, just so everybody listening. I was I was like twenty five minutes late to uh, this here podcast recording because I got stuck at work. So I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to push this too far for you, Jason. But no, you're you're good. Um, I so you you're a lifelong hunter. You've been hunting Roosevelt elk. You've hunted uh, Rocky Mountain elk. You've you've created this you know one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet. Uh, from scratch and and you you hunt multiple states uh, and you've notched a few tags along the way what do you think in with when you when you consider that big basket of experience when you're out there is there something that elk hunters do calling wise that is like not necessarily a pet peeve but when you hear it you know it's wrong you know that there is like no way unless the elk is you know just retarded or a democrat um there is no way that that's going to work on on calling in an elk it, what would that be so for me we've, we've touched on a little bit the 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 big indicator is chuckles now it, it's it's the best way for me to distinguish um what's right or wrong now what i don't know is if a real elk necessarily cares right mm-hmm. you have to you have to assume that they're better at, at distinguishing what's right or wrong, but I always, I've always wondered because there's been some pretty bad callers that consistently kill elk around here. People that I've known, like, I know me too, man. What's going on? Like you can't, so I don't know if it matters that much if you plan the temperament, but chuckles is is probably number one is at least from like my human ear, uh, you know, standpoint, like that's, that's not good. Um, as far as like actual calling technique and strategy, the absolute worst thing you can do is call your way into elk. Um, and this might go back a little more towards herd bull strategy, but like I said, the satellites typically are in tow from the herd. So if there are satellites there, like locating an elk and then calling your way all the way to it. Now, I know there's going to be somebody out there that says, I did, that's how I call all my elk in and it's worked. So I know it works. I'm not saying it can't work. The majority of the time though, that bull is going to take that as an opportunity or a warning that, hey, this other bull is getting awful close to where I want to be. I'm going to round up my cows and leave before we have to see this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, not necessarily from an, an actual call quality standpoint, but a tactic. Um, I think you're always at, a, at, a, at an advantage if you don't call until you're very, very close um, to the elk again. So what do you mean? You, so they maybe they're four or 500 yards away and they elicit a bugle response. And, and you're yep. saying they are calling all the way, getting like every hundred yards or something like that, trying to, try yeah, to- yeah. or maybe, maybe not that much. Let's say you, you know, for your example, you locate some elk down in the timber 500 yards away and you, I could sit there safely. And, and I think we've all did it. I can sit there and most likely beagle from 500 yards back and forth. And that bull is not going to leave. Like he's content. He'll stay there as long as I stay here. Yeah. Now let's say you don't be at 400 because he might stay there for a little bit, but let's say you get, you close 200 yards. So now you're 300 yards away and you bugle and he might answer you from the same spot. And you're like, okay, this is good. You go another hundred yards because you're very nervous or hesitant to bump into them. So you bugle from 200 yards. And now all of a sudden they're still 300 yards away. You moved hundred yards, but you didn't gain any ground at this point. That bull is not interested in you bugling on your way in that bull. You're going to have to be quiet and get close. Or you're going to have to circle out in front of them. But that bull is not interested in um, 
like he, he's obviously rounding his cows up and leaving. He doesn't want any confrontation with you that's coming at him. Um, there's there's some other scenarios that work. Like if you're more of a spot and stock guy or don't want to risk getting in there and doing that, leave a buddy up on the landing and, and continue to call from that 500 yards so that you know exactly where he's at so you're more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Or put your call in your pocket until you get 100 yards away and have the wind right and then pull it back out of your pocket and start your calling. Um, because well, at that point, you've... Re- Go ahead. Oh, I, I, that's that's a great point. I I didn't mean to cut you off there, man. No, no, you're good. Uh, when when you are let's again back to the scenario driven question. Five hundred yards away, you you let out a locator bugle, bam, you get a response. At that point, it, here's what I do. I I pull my phone out. I look at Onyx and I identify roughly where I think that bull is, and I actually mark it. And yep. and I, I think okay maybe maybe there's a little bench maybe there's a little meadow maybe there's a darker timber he's got to be somewhere right in here, and that's how I use because I'm like you man I'll I won't make a peep I'm just going to go in and get as close as I think I am or I can to the point where yep. I don't remember who I, I think it was Dirk that that said you know you want to get in there to the point where you, you're almost nervous you're going to bump that elk out of there you yep. know. Yeah, we do the same thing. I, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, you're you must be a horrible woodsman or whatever by getting my onyx out." I'm like, "Well, let me explain this scenario to you. A lot of times, I can't go straight at them because the wind or something, right? You've got to make a. I'd say the majority of the time I locate elk, I've got to make a loop or circle them or do something. So when I'm walking through the timber, like, I you can lose your path. You can forget how far you know. If you have to walk 300 yards down the trail walk 300 yards down the hill and then try to make a loop, like you might not be able to get back to that spot or it might feel different or it lays out different than you thought. And so, you know, we, we always do that. And then you want to get very, very close to where you, that pin is. And a lot of times just out of, out of, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little stubborn, but I will force myself not to call. You know, a lot of times it's always like, well, you're close enough now. Like, let's just, let's just see if you can get them to respond. And it's like, nope. Not until I'm within 100 yards of that red pin that I put on Onyx am I going to make a peep. Um, and so it's just, you know, a lot of stubbornness on on me trying to prove my point that I'm not calling until I get there. Uh, man, that kind of stuff irritates. What kind of douche canoe it calls you out on woodsmanship over, over marking that on Onyx? Like, what? what, what uh, are, you, the, are you kidding? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it's just one of those things where I could see some old boggers around here telling me that. But, uh no, it's, I just, I like it because when you get in the big timber, everything starts to look the same and it may not lay out like you thought it did from up above or on a trail or when you're down below, you can't see how things change over ridges or maybe the elk, you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah Onyx, that's always been my trick um, is, is to pull it out real quick. You know, it takes me five seconds to put a marker and then if I get turned around or who knows, you might get lost chasing a different boy here on the way, but you still want to come back to that one. Like there's always good reasons to put that pin down where you heard him from. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, man. That is just, it's like, you, you don't know if you're going to get down the next little, you know, you go down and then back up a little bit. That wind could totally shift. You want to back out of that and, yep. and save yourself from the wind. And if you have to, if you have to wait it out for two or three hours, if you're going to kick yourself if you didn't put that pin there. And it has nothing to do with woodsmanship. Yep. That's that's dumb. For sure. But uh, no, yep. that's that's great stuff, man. Well, um, I I uh, I always like having you on, man. I, I really like. I really yeah, like I, I really appreciate you having me. I let's tell everybody. So you are currently the host of Cutting the Distance for the Meat Eater podcast series, yeah. right? 
yeah, co-host now. So uh, I was running it for the last two years or almost two years by myself. And then uh, recently uh, got Dirk to come on every other week so we can, yeah. uh, you know, be co-host. So it's a, it's a nice little change up and, and we're, we're having twice as many episodes now. That's awesome, man. I, I'd like to point out that I was on that one with Dirk, uh, the cutting yeah. the distance. Yeah, last, last week, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. So if anybody, you know, needs an autograph or anything, just let me know. <laughs> we can hook it up <laughs> no, yeah. no i uh the uh, the other part of that too actually yeah i need to touch on that man do you you know like joe rogan talks about you all the time dude yeah i don't yeah i i usually because I, I listen to his podcast like on hunting road trips but usually i know if if uh you know there's everybody a mention because i yeah everybody messages me i'm like that's cool well here's no he's here, here's my here's my take on it, man. Um, I, I'm kind of like you. I, I, I tune into to some of his episodes. It depends on who's got on, you know. Um, yeah. But he'll he'll like talk about somebody for a while, and then he'll bring him on. And you, I don't think you could like tell anybody that you're going on there before you actually do. But I'm suspicious he's going to call you up and be like, "Dude, come on my my show." <laughs> and so what what I want I want to throw out there. You like free T-shirts, right? Yeah. All you have to do on the Joe Rogan show is say, I learned this on the Western Huntsman podcast, and I'm going to send you a free T-shirt. What do you think? Perfect. I can do that for you. <laughs> can I, get I don't one? know if I'm an entertaining <laughs> enough guest for, for Joe, though. No, I think I think... I think he's the kind of guy, man, that like he's, he's so con- conversational and he's genuinely curious. I think that he's... You'd you'd be surprised, man. People like listening to you. You have a lot of credibility on this topic, and, and it's... It's not the same old, um, I don't know, there's a lot of just jargon out there and, and like, kind of uh, information in a can, if you will. And, yeah, and- I, can't, I can't wait to, not to interrupt you there. No, I, all I heard, I'm going to tell my wife here, because she always, she, I'm going to say, Jim told me that people like to listen to me, and I'm going to use that tonight. See you how should, that goes man. for me. That's what I do. All right. Part of my show, <laughs> give I me, save. Just give me nuggets to I share. save marriages, man. And, uh, but no, I, I think, I think you'd be great for anybody, anybody that, I mean, let's face it, anybody that likes to call elk likes to hear from Jason Phelps. All right. Let's face it. So, yeah, no, that's great, man. Anything, anywhere else you want to direct everybody to, uh, where they could find you, Instagram, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Oh boy. We're on cutting the distance everywhere. Major podcasts are at, um, me and Dirk are still kind of holding down the fort, um, on our Instagram channels, uh, Phelps game call at Phelps game calls. And then I've got a personal one at Jason's and Phelps. Um, we're on Facebook, just kind of, kind of all over, um, the websites, uh, www.phelpsgamecalls.com. And yeah, we're pretty, pretty accessible. Yeah, no, it is guys. And, and you guys know, um, just because I, I haven't, I usually, usually Jason, when I get, I kick off a school of September episode, I do a quick uh, Phelps game call ad. And so I don't want to, I don't want to feel like anybody's missing out on that. But uh, for, for you guys that if you, if you are in the market for game calls, go to phelpsgamecalls.com, run through. It doesn't matter if you're looking for elk calls. Obviously elk is kind of top of mind right now. And I feel like maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but I feel like elk calls are like the, like the bread and butter, the flagship of of products from Phelps game calls, but uh, not to discount the predator calls and the deer calls and the turkey calls, uh, the duck calls. Yeah, no, I mean, elk elk's always going to be our, our thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's what we're passionate about. But you know, you're you hit the nail on the head. Like we we love those other things too. There's other pursuits, but elk's always going to be number one. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah. jump on there, guys. There's still plenty of time to get your calls before season starts. And uh, Jason. 
Brother man, I really appreciate you joining me, man. I'm, I'm super excited to get this episode out. Uh, this was yeah. fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, good luck this fall, and I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up later. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do a uh, postseason right. episode. All right, brother. All right, perfect. Sounds good. Take care. See you, man. Bye-bye. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you 